Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Raking Coals. We will shortly bring to you our 13th episode, but before we do, I would like to invite you all to look at e43collective.com. That is where you can find our other podcasts, the After Sunday Discussion, more episodes of Raking Coals, and some of our blog posts that all have to do with ministry within the local church, the life of the church, and seeking to bring churches together to have discussion and learn things together so that we can further encourage one another and share Jesus with this world. Secondly, in this upcoming episode, Josh and I talk about some heavier topics. We are talking about churches dealing with troublesome issues, issues that can damage churches. And this is a conversation that we approach with humility and just give our raw thoughts. That's what we're really trying to create here, an environment where we have raw and real conversations open and wanting to talk and discuss. So if you have any further questions or any comments, please head over to Facebook, the E43 Collective's Facebook page, or feel free to contact us through a contact form on the website. Thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Raking Coals. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and joining me, as always, is Josh Fauzi. How are you doing? Josh, how are you doing? That is the real question. I'm doing well. I'm here. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to talk about today's topic. Now, today's topic is going to be entitled, When Churches Deal with Trouble. And I'm going to go ahead and explain this title to you. Josh and I talked about this a little bit before recording the podcast. Uh, when Churches Deal with Trouble, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of what churches deal with when they deal with with trouble, troublesome things that come about in leadership. Some of this stuff could be seen as church scandals. The reason we didn't put the word scandals in the title is because a lot of times scandals are are associated with sexual scandals that happen within leadership in a church, and that's not that's not what all scandals are. Um, so we're kind of dealing with, with the topic of, of church scandals, church trouble, when churches find themselves in trouble because of leadership failure. And so we're going to be talking through some things. And and Josh, do you think that's a good way to describe what we'll be talking about? On the yeah, I think today? that's the best way we can probably put it. Um, because there's a lot of things that go on in churches and there's a lot of a lot of things that hit the news and a lot of things that doesn't that don't hit the news. Yeah. And and unfortunately i mean the way that i'm gonna not to throw them under the bus but the catholic church has kind of made the word scandal in church just automatically your mind goes just sexual scandal right right and you know a lot of people know about the things that have happened with the roman catholic church and the priests i mean there's there's a movie a popular movie out about it now spotlight and and how the story was exposed so Mm -hmm. so that's pretty that's pretty well talked about public information and so we're going to talk a little bit about how how we should respond as normal everyday people when we hear this stuff how we should respond as christians and what it's going to spur on, and kind of also going over some information that that Josh has found, and how how people end up here, 
How do we end up in these places? Because I don't know about you, Josh, but when I find out about some of these things, and it's a prominent Christian leader who I grew up listening to this person's sermons, reading their books, taking you know small groups through the material that their church provides, it's like, oh man, that that hurts. In some cases, you've actually met them through Moody Bible when you went to college, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and that's that. That's the sad thing is that, uh, I mean, especially the ones that you see in the news, like, because they're, they're tension getters. They're, the articles are like, oh my goodness, this person did what? And um, like at the time of recording, there's a really big one going on right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why we we kind of talked and said, like, we should really discuss this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of talk about it on a level of of how how we deal with it from from multiple angles, because I know me personally, when I heard about this stuff, I was like, oh, my gosh, not again. Like that's that was immediately my thought, because what's going on and we're not going to call out names. We're not going to call out specific things. People who know what's going on, you know what's going on, but it's hard enough for all the churches and leaders who are going through that right now. We're not going to try and drag their names through the mud or, or anything more than what's already happened. But when you find out about these certain names of influential people, and in my my immediately thought, my immediate thought was not again. Like this is the this is the multiple time. This has happened multiple times in the last few years with guys who I really respected what they did. And now it's just like, ugh, yeah. ugh, it's frustrating. Because I, I, like we talked about three specific ones, and, right? And I think I think they're great examples of. And we're not going to talk about the names specifically, but I would really like to talk about what what's going on with each one. So the first yeah. one was guy a, a pastor used the church's money to pay a newspaper right to get his book yeah, on he, their he best used churches fund he used church funds to basically partner up with an organization that that helps uh, a book get to the new york times bestseller list so that it will sell more copies and so this individual used church funds to do this this was not the only reason he ended up resigning but all this information started to come out and information started to come out about bullying to his leadership team and treating them poorly and kind of running the church in a very authoritarian way and and these are all these are all allegations the the uh, the book thing is is definitely a f- confirmed um but at the same time it it really hurt a legacy of ministry that was important to a lot of people and, and so that was the first thing. But he used money that wasn't put to get promoting his book. Correct. To getting this book promoted. And the thought process in his mind was he was going to take the proceeds from the book and the money they made from the book and pay back the church. That is what was said. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because that's what I thought it was. And that, that, that brings up a big issue. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Then the other person that we talked that we had talked about, they had big church mm-hmm. um and he had, he had he had said terrible things on a live mic yeah and got recorded doing that and while that's going on there's an investigative reporter who's just going out and just publishing just the extravagant lifestyle that he was living um and the 
poor financial governance of the church because the church is in like a ton of debt apparently. And then there was a lot of just bullying and very demeaning behavior from this pastor towards his staff, if I'm correct. Right? Yeah. 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 So, and that that one's going on right now. That's a... Yeah, that's a hot one. Yeah, that's a hot one. But it happened like a month ago when it started to get real hot. Yeah, but now there's a lawsuit to try to get tithing back. Yeah. Like, church members are... uh, What was it? The last statistic I saw was... During even the church itself, because of what's all of this, has seen its giving drop forty to fifty percent. Oh man, that is insane! Right. Especially with how much debt you find out they're in. Yeah, because it's in millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of debt. Yeah, which don't get. We've the, had that conversation between the two of the us. The accountant across <laughs> the table is cringing right now. <laughs> um, and then the last one was. I mean, we did bring it up, but it, I mean, he, sexual allegations, yeah, like inappropriate touching and just lots of bad stuff. Yeah, it, um, mostly, mostly it was inappropriate touching and inappropriate communication allegations. Mm-hmm. Now, now these allegations, I still think there was an investigation going on. I haven't heard much follow up on that story, but at, at the same time, allegations can be just as painful to deal with as. As when there's cold, hard evidence. Mm-hmm. And something I'm just going to point out now, Josh, is that we live in a time where accountability for pastors is super duper high. Yes. Like you can get caught for anything anyone wants to catch you with. If mm-hmm. you've got an issue, it can be exposed. And we are, we are seeing now in real time the... Um, the power that technology can have to expose a leader's flaws. And I think as time goes by, we're going to see more of this stuff, which is why it, uh, it, I think we need to talk about it. And the first thing I'll say is that when we hear stuff like this happen, it's totally okay to be upset. It's oh, totally yes. okay to be upset. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I think it's also, I mean... As terrible as these things are, they're great opportunities. I'm just going to throw that out there because, like, because when this gets picked up by mainstream media, it's not just Christians who are talking about it. It's everybody, right? Right. I mean, like, uh, two of the three people that we mentioned are out of a big city in the Midwest. Right. And this is all over their news. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting because I was talking to a friend about this earlier, like, maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. And something that was brought up was this like, what an amazing opportunity is, is this as terrible as the situation is to, it opens up conversations. Yeah. Cause then you have coworkers who are like, did you hear about that pastor? And you're like, and it's just like, what he did was terrible. And this is not what Christians are supposed to do. And then that opens up the door to say, actually, this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah. This is what Jesus talked about. This is what Paul and what the the writers of the epistles and of the gospels wrote down. Right. Okay. For us to follow. And like, and a lot of times when we hear scandals, it, it, it becomes the, the Christian community very much like turtles itself and says, Oh yeah, we we can't talk about this. This is, this is a scandal. We can't, we can't say anything out against it in either direction because we don't want to put our foot in our mouth. Yeah. 
But it's just like, here you have this great opportunity where you can have conversations and actually share the gospel and share the truths of scripture and say, here's an example of what not to do. And this is a person, yes, like lots of respect, but they're still human. Right. They're still sinful. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yes, they got caught doing this. But here's what the Bible actually tells us to do. Because, I mean, you look at all the statistics, the biggest things that non-Christians say about Christians that they hate are that we're hypocrites. Yeah. And you say, okay, here's an example of a hypocrite, but here's what the Bible actually says. Yeah. Okay. And he's a hypocrite because he's he's a sinner and I'm a hypocrite because I'm a sinner. But, I mean, that's not what the gospel talks about. It's yeah. not, you, you don't need to be good enough. You just have to be submissive enough. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, too, one thing I will say is like these things are hitting the news because they're big churches, right. giant churches. This t- type of stuff happens in small churches, too. This is not just unique to big churches. There are things that happen in small churches that don't hit the news. And the reality is this stuff, it's upsetting because there are people, there are people who will get this news who... Number one, we'll never want to have anything to do with a church because they heard this story. It's a reality. So pastors, if you're one of those pastors listening to this, just remember your decisions to do what you did have an effect on people not wanting to have anything to do with the church. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. We, we do crazy things in our own thought process. Yep. And, you know, it's, to me, it, it, it makes it also with us as Christians, with us as individuals, we really need to be careful to make good and wise choices. Like, really think through things. And and Josh, you, you gave me some really fascinating information on how people find themselves in fraudulent situations, right. which which is what this, this big situation we kind of are talking about is dealing with fraud. Right. And on some level whether it's financial or whether it's just kind of fooling people and you being someone you're not, I think right. this has a lot of cross applications between a lot of scandals that we find yeah. happen in churches. So I think, so do you want me to just get yeah, into it? Yeah, okay, let's get so, into this. This is fascinating So stuff. when we're talking about fraud, um, there's an organization that I actually belong to. I'm a member of it. It's called the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Because I want to be a fraud examiner one day, and you have to take their test to be one. Um, but they do a report to the nations every year. So um, I was just I just pulled this up because they do it by industry, and they look at the cases that get reported to the organization. Um, and religious, charitable, and social service organizations. Um, they got sixty cases reported to them. Okay, what was the median loss? Oh gosh, I don't I don't even know where to start. You're going to have to give me the number. The median loss for those 60 cases was $90,000. $90,000. That's a lot of money. And um it's it's re- cuz they actually break it down to like what's the most common type of fraud that you see in these organizations. So the most the most common is billing fraud where they send out fraudulent bills. And they collect the money to a fraudulent account, whatever. Um, but what the other one is uh, you have expense reimbursement and corruption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and like expense reimbursement is just a great example of just organizational governance. Because 
when you're talking about fraud, um, most you, you have to remember everybody in their when they make a decision in their mind makes sense to them. Every decision that you make in your mind makes sense to you. That's why you make yeah. the decision. And um, and a lot of times, we, like we we sit there and we see these and we're like, well, if I was in that situation, I'd never do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, like, if you take any fraud class or forensic accounting class, they always talk about like anybody commit commit crop, commit fraud if certain factors are met, and that's when you get into the fraud triangle, which is what I was explaining to Cody a little bit earlier. So, yeah, this is fascinating. <laughs> Listen up, this is cool so, stuff. So the fraud triangle is made of of it's a triangle, so it's made up of three sides. And the three sides are perceived pressure, perceived rationalization, and opportunity. So what it's saying is you have an individual, in order to get themselves to commit a fraudulent activity, right, would they have to think that there's pressure for them to do something. So you're talking living beyond your means addiction um you have uh debt mm-hmm. okay and when it comes to money okay money's the big one okay um and they have this pressure that's hanging over them okay and they perceive like oh my goodness like so when you when you look at the money side it's like i need to pay off these loans or i i live this extravagant lifestyle i have to keep it up i have to keep up the appearance okay and so they have this pressure of like, I have to do this. I have to achieve this. Um, when it comes to addiction, it's I have to get this. So that's where you have like gambling, you have drugs, you have just a lot of things going on. So so they have this pressure. Okay. And then you, if they have the opportunity. Okay. And this is this is where as an organization, you probably have the most control. Over the situation where they have the ability to do something. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, for example, the person counting the offering at churches. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're the ones who are counting the money. How easy, like, if they have this pressure, right? Okay. And they have the opportunity because they're holding the money. Okay. The, the third part of that triangle is the rationalization. Where they essentially trick themselves into saying, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and it always starts with a small amount. Mm-hmm. It's always just that that hook. And um, like when I was taking my fraud class, you'd hear these stories and you'd read these cases and you'd watch these videos. And it's always like, well, I, I, I needed to make rent. Mm-hmm. OK. Or I had a car payment or I, I had a gambling addiction yeah. or whatever. Okay, and I was short hundred bucks, so I took a hundred dollars out. Okay, because I said it's a hundred bucks; they'll never miss it. I'll pay it back next week. Yeah. I'll pay it back when I get the money. And then you do it because you have you have the pressure, you have the ability to do it with the opportunity, and then you rationalize it in your head, and you you take the money, and then it's well that was easy. Yeah, and then it just. A lot of times it's all, it just grows. Do you think initially the intention is always like when someone initially finds themselves in a, in a situation where they're committing fraudulent activity, do you think that in the beginning they're always like, I'll pay it back. I'll give it back. I'll make up for this. Sometimes. Okay. I mean, a lot of times it's like, no, I just want the money. Okay. <laughs> I mean, cause, 
and when you're talking fraud, it could be a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and like, like you talk about like the biggest impact. So you have, you have like the, the stealing, the, the cash theft. Okay. But then it goes all the way to like financial statements fraud mm-hmm. where it's like, we need to keep this accreditation or we need to keep our share price at this certain price when you're looking at corporate. Okay. So they're going to manipulate the financial statements that they put out mm-hmm. so that, Oh, we, we're not going to meet, we're not going to meet the market expectations for profit. So let's put out a, a, a an altered income statement. Okay. Okay. So that it looks like we hit our profits. Okay. Okay. And, and that like, you're talking millions of dollars at that point. And, and it's interesting because I was reading up into one of the, one of the people that we talked about and their organization lost accreditation with what is it? ECFA. Okay. Okay. Which is they accredited, uh, credit churches for their financials. Like, okay, this is a church that you're, you could trust or, and, um, and they, they pulled their accreditation because they found out they were putting out false financial statements to the organization. Oh, geez. Which is like super <laughs> duper wrong in a nonprofit organization, not to mention a church. Right, right. So when you're looking at churches um, and you're looking at just personnel, okay, and like your hiring your pastor and, and the things that are going on, like, so... The reason we do background checks, or you should be doing background checks, is to look for pressures. Yeah. Okay. That's why, um, like, I work in government. Okay. We have to go through the security clearance process. They want literally every piece of information about you. Right. Okay. About your past. And they're looking for your credit report. They're looking at who do you know. Okay. They're looking at... Are you over leveraged property wise? Do you have a history of drugs? Do you have what are what are the what can we find out about the things that might pressure you into making a decision? Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Even now, you can get background check information and you can even find like social media history, things like that. Yes. Coming up on background checks. Mm-hmm. So you are virtu- we virtually have I could even see a background check, doing a background check for for a pastor, a youth pastor, a associate pastor, anyone in a church. Like most of these people are hired by people who have a day job. Yeah. And they're going off and doing something else throughout the day. And, and like being on a pastoral search firm is like they're just giving up of their free time to do so. And then you get this massive stack of papers in a background check, probably all digital now. Right. Um, but like just a massive amount of information to go through. I'm sure that's not very thorough because it's well, a lot of times it's just really like the the background check services that are out there make it super simple. Yeah. Okay. It's like here's here's their information. So they point out the red flags and for they, you and they give okay. you the overview. So it's it's um because like we use we used one at Pathway for VBS mm-hmm. and it very much was just like. These are the crimes that they've been convicted of. These are like the the issues that we found. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is why why you may or may not want this person, and then yeah. you make the final decision. Yeah. Um. But you're looking like the purpose of that. Like for example, like your children's ministry volunteers should all have background checks. Absolutely. Because statistically speaking, if someone has been convicted or has been involved in a sexual crime statistically they are more likely to do it again yeah okay um 
So you're looking for that. You're looking for that and saying, okay, is there is there an issue that I need to be aware of? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you go to rationalization, that's where your interview comes into importance. That's where your references come into play. Mm-hmm. Because you should be calling their references. Yeah. You should be doing interviews. You should be doing multiple types of interviews, panel interviews. Ask them open-ended, complex questions mm-hmm. just to see how their mind works. Yeah. Um, I mean, where I work, they use behavioral questions all the time. Yeah. And, um, and it's nerve-wracking because you're sitting there with a panel of four people watching you. Right. And they're watching your body language. They're watching how you... Like, there's somebody taking notes on your body language. Someone taking notes on how you say your answers. Mm-hmm. Someone writing down your answer verbatim. Right. And then someone asking the question. Yeah. And they take turns doing each role. And it's the most terrifying thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's what it's what it's meant for. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and that's... The rationalization is probably the hardest thing to control. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, you could do the interview, you could do all that, but you never really know how someone's thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, Jeremiah says it best in the Bible, the heart is deceitful before all else. Yeah. Who can understand it? And, like, our, our, our hearts can, like, you can rationalize almost anything. Yeah. You really can. Yeah. And, and you know the thing I find interesting, two out of the three situations we've talked about here and some of the allegations that came out being someone who followed these guys for a long time it's when i found out about what some of the allegations were there were some things that surprised me the money things surprised me but the character things didn't because their personalities even when they preached and taught and spoke very type a very in your face so the fact that these guys were accused of using belittling and inappropriate language, to be honest, didn't surprise me. Okay. That didn't surprise me. And, you know, I think in, in 1 Corinthians 5, right, you have this situation where the uh, the one guy is sleeping with his mother-in-law. And, and guys, we try to have a family-friendly podcast here. I'm just going to say it now. We are talking about church scandals, and so this might be something that, you know, it's not like we're going to be talking inappropriately, but these are heavy topics, right. heavy topics. Uh, so if you don't want your your kids listening uh, about a sexual scandal, might, now might be a time to pull away. Um, so as as I was mentioning, you have in First Corinthians five, right? The the person who's sleeping with his mother in law, and you know, Paul gives very strict instructions. Nip that bad boy in the bud, right? Like, that guy, that guy's got to go. You know, he's got to either, that, that behavior has to stop or that person has to go. And I think what happens in these situations is if I, as an outsider looking in, was not surprised by the character issues, what people on the inside must have been thinking. And when you see an issue... That might be hurting a organization as big as these two churches were. Yeah. The issues only got bigger over time, and it wasn't nipped in the bud when the initial problem was was seen. Now, both of these guys were the founders of the right. churches they were overseeing, but at the same time, I think that's where we have to be like, you know, this 
person either needs a break, a reprieve, a redirection, or they got to be let go. And and as tough as that seems, it's like if, if you can find that stuff early and you can see that stuff early and you can nip it in the bud, you might be saving your church, and in one case, millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And in another case, uh, a... a a church network that e- no longer even exists. One of the church networks no longer even exists, and and so I mean these are these are big things going on and happening, and so you know it's it kind of comes back to following the principles of when when someone is not acting above reproach, it can be seen right. right. It's one of the calls of elders in First Timothy three for him to be above reproach. Right. And when that is is not seen, and that does come out in character, it's like you, as a as an elder team, need to be like, okay, this has to stop. This eventually, this is going to hurt us. It might not be hurting us now, or it might not even hurt us for years, but eventually, it is. And so you have these big personalities. And do you think, Josh? Do you think that the issue of of fraud and deception and kind of um, you know, misleading is more susceptible for people with extreme type A personalities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you have these people who, they command attention, right? Right. I mean, and, and especially when you have a situation where, like, they are the founder. Everybody looks up to them. Everything that they do. I mean, people look at it, and it, it's interesting because... I don't know if we have we talked about it on the podcast about um, like wor- like worshiping your pastor and not worshiping God. Yeah, we've we've mentioned that in a couple uh, in one one time in yeah. the past about following the pastor that, versus following God. And, and like the examples that we're looking at, like very much you see that. Yeah, where it's the people are like, look at our pastor look at him like look at everything he's done and it's and that that really much blinds people i think and i guarantee you there were a ton of people in those churches who saw the issues and never said anything never never brought them up because they were afraid um of what the implications of them standing up and saying something yeah or or if these people are fear mongerers which it seems like two of these issues might have been fear mongering and I don't want to read into it you know there's also the situation of like if I blow the whistle what's gonna what's gonna happen to me right you know right like I mean it's interesting too because you see a lot of like like in some of these situations former pastors from those churches are coming out and saying well this has been going on for years it's like why didn't you say something earlier it's like yeah, well, why didn't I you got, say something years ago because they got pushed out of the church by yeah. the person who's starting all of this and it's 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 sad, but you have to. I mean, sure. I this kind of goes along with organizational governance. Mm-hmm. I mean, churches don't have. Um, what's the word? Um, triggers. They don't have. They don't have triggering mechanisms to report stuff like this. Yeah. They don't set it up. They don't have an organizational structure that allows for it really because i mean you look at most churches which are smaller churches okay you have not a large staff you might have the pastor an associate pastor a worship pastor and an admin yeah okay and it's like well if something happens 
I mean, who are you going to go to? Yeah. Um, and and that that very much goes to like people aren't people are less likely to stand up and say something, especially at smaller churches, because mm. everybody knows everybody. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it. I mean, you get on someone's bad side at a small church, and the entire congregation knows it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and another thing too, as you, as you're talking there. We have our churches set up. Most churches that are structured outside of like your mainline traditional denominations, a lot of churches are following the the Presbyterian model of of pastor with multiplicity of elders. And what's interesting is that oftentimes in a church, your most theologically educated person is going to be your pastor. Yes. It's just, it should be that way, at least in the way we want churches to be. But at the same time, oftentimes that pastor is way, way, way more theologically adept than the board of elders. And the board of elders might be apprehensive to call out a a pastor on his wrongs because they might not even know. Where, where there's where there's right. issues or things to be afraid of and, and I'm not trying to like say elder boards are are stupid or anything like that but if you compare it to like a secular organization for example with a CEO and a board of directors typically your board of directors are extremely adept businessmen or right. business women and they know exactly how how a business right. needs to function most of them probably are are not as maybe adept as the CEO of being a chief executive officer, but they know what a CEO needs to do. And they know how a successful business needs to operate, or at least a good thriving business does. And and a church should be the same way with their elders. You know, a group of elders really need to know what a church needs in order to thrive, and they need to keep that pastor and his staff accountable Mm -hmm. and and that's tough because a lot of people in in this world don't take the time to really work on their theology to really work on their knowledge to really work on their wisdom and and i and you you find in a lot of smaller churches the elder board doesn't they're more peers to the pastor than accountable like the like the past, like at least in my experience, and most of the small churches that I go to, is that pastors, like the elder board, is normally their peers, but it's more of a like peer to peer relationship than a here is a management like a, a manager to an employee kind of relationship because like your elder board should be the one. I mean, your elder board is who's hiring and hiring and firing the pastor. Mm-hmm. In most churches. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, or at least making the decision on whether or not to bring it up to the congregation for a vote. Right. Okay. And when you have when you have a, a church that the lines are, aren't clear on where the accountability goes, it's really, you find it really hard to get rid of a pastor because the elder board will never bring up the vote. <laughs> right. Um, and I mean, it, it does bring up just... Like how the organization is structured is important. Yeah, and I mean, when you talk about the opportunity part of that triangle that we talked about earlier, that's where like your biggest you should have segregation of duty. Yeah. Okay. You're the person who's 
paying or who's collecting the money shouldn't also be the person recording it in the books. Right. Okay. The 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 person who's looking at um let, I'm trying to figure it like because I could bring up a ton of corporate examples. Churches get a little convoluted with it. Yeah. Where it's like the you shouldn't have the the programmer, okay, the person who's doing programming for a ministry, also be the person who's paying all the bills for the ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay, money's the greatest example for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to it, but you need there. There's supposed to be accountability in the process. Yeah, there's supposed to be account like. If you let a ministry leader go and just do whatever he wants with no supervision whatsoever, okay, and you have no accountability on that, it, I mean, you're you're kind of responsible for whatever the outcome is. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you have the youth pastor who's allowed to do whatever he wants, no questions asked, okay, you never check in with him, okay, and then you go find out that he took all the kids to a ACDC concert. Man, what a cool youth pastor. <laughs> ACDC is awesome. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like, well, I, I kind of had, I never asked him what he was doing. Right, right. That's, yeah. Um, and at the same time, I mean, it's like, it's like if you have your, your, the person, like, let's say you do rentals in your building. Okay. And you have the person who's supposed to be like filling out the contracts and stuff just giving giving parts of the building away for free constantly Mm. okay you're like i thought we had this event where's the like it's like i mean there's no accountability if there's no accountability you're responsible for whatever happens um but i mean it's important you need to have that built-in accountability you're supposed to have that segregation of duties and then you're supposed to also have like clear expectations Right. When you bring someone on or you have someone who's volunteering, it's really important to say, this is what we expect of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the thing that I, I think, too, as, as we're talking about organizational structure and, and all these things, we're kind of laying down some, some good ideas. To if you're part of a church, if you are involved in a church, if you are an elder, if you are a pastor, like these, this, this is a discussion. If as a leadership team, you haven't discussed the issues going on within some church scandals around the country right now and troublesome, troublesome issues in churches, start looking some things up. And, and I think it would be important for church, a church leadership team to have a discussion about about these things. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing to make sure we don't get here? And, and I would say that most churches will find themselves in a position where they're not at risk. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying that most churches are in a position where they're going to be at risk. I'm just saying this is something that is worth talking about. And then. How do you talk to your congregation about this, or how do you talk to people about it who who have questions of like, what is this? Like, right. how could this happen? Right. And and I think and then when it happens to you, how do you address it? Right, right. <laughs> because because we're not, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have not had to go through this situation in any church I've served at. I, there have been struggles and hardships that. I've seen happen in ministry, but thankfully nothing on the level of this. And, and you know, that I'm thankful for that. And I just pray to, to God that I never have to be in this situation. <laughs> but if I do, the, the first thing that 
I have to ask myself is it was this was this God's doing or is this man's doing? Is this God doing this or is this sinful human action? And and the easy answer is right. It's sinful human action. That's that's the easy answer. But sometimes it's hard not to get mad at God. Right. You know, like like think about the people who are impacted by this directly involved in these churches. It's like, God, how could you do this? Like this place is super important to my family. This place is super important to my spiritual health. And, and now I feel like I'm in a mess, you know, and, and if people leave that church, I wouldn't blame them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And there's super simple solutions to a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, like I, on our youth staff. Okay. How do we, how, how do we make sure that like, for example, if an allegation comes out that we cover ourselves, right? Okay. It's because we have a rule. No one youth is allowed in the room with one youth leader. Yeah. You have to have multiple youth leaders there and we keep attendance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Because a lot of times most, most allegations come out 10 to 15 years after the fact. It's a long time. I know. But if you keep attendance and you have paper copies and you say, no, our records show this person wasn't even here. Allegation gone. Right. Okay. If you have always, if you always have another person there, it makes it so much harder for the allegation to stick because you're like, no, because I had one of these four people with me at all times. Yeah. Okay. And there you go. Accusation gone. Yep. Okay. Um, when you're talking about finances, you're talking, well, the person who's paying the bills shouldn't be the person collecting money. <laughs> yeah. The person who's counting the money isn't the person depositing the money. Yeah. Okay. The person who's putting it in the books isn't the person who's depositing the money. Like, <laughs> right. It's really easy, like kind of super simple stuff to do. Right. Um, like when you when you talk about like children's ministry, okay. Parent drops the kid off. They sign the kid in. Parent drop, pick, comes, picks up the kid. Okay. Like at the church that I do children's ministry at, we have claim tickets. Mm-hmm. Number on the kid's name tag has to match the number the parent has on a printed sticker. And the parent signs them out. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really, it's not hard. Yeah. It's just a lot of people don't like how it can feel cumbersome. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it is preventative right. rather than, than fixing a problem when it happens right. and the thing the thing i'll throw out there too is is with these situations when you see this happening whether it hap- has happened in your own church whether it happens in a church that you hear about whether it happens it's something that's happening now or has happened or will happen something that i will say is that the the person who goes through it whoever is guilty that person is still a man or woman of God. As long as they're continuing to profess Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're still a brother and sister in Christ. Did they do wrong? Absolutely. They absolutely did. And they're going to have to pay some serious consequences for doing wrong. But that person really needs prayer because their life is about to get terrible. Mm-hmm. The, the reality is is that these people who go through these things probably don't sleep too well at night. Because what I will say is is these are still individuals who I fully believe love God. I, I fully believe that. 
They wouldn't have begun doing what they were doing if they didn't, to the extent that they did it. And they do love God. They love Christ. And I think they, you know, they really cared about their congregations. But if, if for some reason or another, they justified their actions. And it was, when it's true, it's wrong. And, you know, allegations that aren't true, that's a, a harder thing to, to deal with. But when the allegations are true and the situations are true, what they did is wrong. But that person definitely needs your prayer. And their families, who had nothing to do with it, especially need prayer. And they could probably even use a phone call, a reaching out to, a friend. Because because of their their spouse's, most times husband's decision, they will be alienated from a lot of people who they thought were their friends. And at that moment in time, they might not have many, if any. And right. that would really, really stink. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we kind of, I mean, one of the churches I went to, they had the issue of organization fired somebody. Didn't tell anybody why. Well, now everybody's questioning and now you have rumors. And the family's getting phone calls. And you're just like, well, that's not really fair for the family. Yeah. I mean, and I just remember just the one call that I had with somebody. And it was just like, it was one of the daughters. And she refused to pick up my phone call. Really good friend of mine. And then she left a voicemail that I still have. And it was just like, you could feel the angst. In her voice. Yeah. Because they don't, like, because a lot of times, a lot of times when stuff like this happens, the individual's hiding it from their family, too. So when it comes out, it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. Like, like everyone forgets about the, the, the spouse and the children right. when this happens. Mm-hmm. They immediately make whoever the guilty person is the bad guy. And they do not think about the innocent people who are suffering because of it. But it's it's just... You, it's so hard to see churches go through something like this. Though. It's painful. It's very painful. But at the same time, too, like, as a Christian, I kind of sit there and go, what were you thinking? Like, I don't know. I mean, not to be harsh, but, like, the one, the one, per, the one pastor that we mentioned... And this is probably going to give it away to anybody who's paying attention. Lives in a two million dollar house, in a off a private lake. Mm-hmm. Like that's extravagant living. Mm-hmm. And to find out, like they use church money to go on a safari. Right? When um, and they use they use money from a radio show, right? To I can't remember what it was. They use oh to pay the the liabilities for a different like sub organization. So like, and and you're like, so, and it's misappropriation of funds. That's really what it is. Yeah. And, and you, and it's like, well, who allowed that? Like, did the accountant not think to say, Hey, we can't do this. Okay. 503 C says restricted funds can't move, be used for anything other than what it's, given to yeah um what where were the elders when they're like you used that much money to go on a safari mm-hmm. <laughs> like really i mean and and you 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 hear things and it's it's i i mean 
it almost sounds like a lot of the organizations were complacent. Yeah. And a lot of the organizations kind of just let their leaders and the people who are being they put in the spotlight for these things just kind of just have free reign and never really questioned. Yeah. Never questioned why they were doing what they were doing and what was the purpose of what they were doing. Because that's the only way I can think that some of the stuff that I've heard gets yeah. allowed. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just super duper sad. Like the, just every day that goes by, it's like there's something else. It's yeah. crazy. Um, and the, cra- the crazy thing is, is that most, I mean, I'm thinking of one organization right now and Cody knows exactly who I'm thinking about. They won't say anything about it. They keep it quiet. They don't. They won't speak. They won't. They won't speak out against it. Okay. They they won't comment on it. And this this like, because the one person was, like, I don't know. Was he a partner or a contributor or, whatever for them? I don't know. <laughs> but it's just like it's like okay, you have this person that's associated with the organization who's who's done this. You're not even going to address it. And and that's the thing that I find just kind of interesting about the church is like we are very quick to just stand up and scream into the bullhorn for all the successes but we never talk about any of the issues yeah and i think that's partly too like not to just kind of do (coughs) self-promotion here but that's a big reason why you and i want to do this podcast is to have real conversations about not just the fun stuff or the good stuff in churches but like the stuff that sucks too because because i mean this stuff is not fun to talk about but it's it's realities and we see it happening and when when i get a notification on apple news and it's a church that i know personally and i see that church's title in the article i'm like "Uh uh-oh this is not good. This is not this is not a gospel coalition or Christianity Today article. That is a very well-known newspaper. This cannot be good. You know, like and it's sad that that's what makes the big news stories. Right. But that's just what's going to make the big news stories. And and, and you know, we talked about I, I think individuals pray for the families and, and those who had nothing to do with the problem. And if you can be a big enough person to still be a friend, to the person who who is totally innocent of this, that that's a big and I think important thing to do because it's a tough thing for a spouse to go through. And uh, another thing too is like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to to people about it uh, on the level of I'm just confused and and just kind of giving yourself an opportunity to be like, okay how how can we get through this in a positive way i think some reactions are and, and you know i've seen some things and actions taken by individuals who are directly affected by this that i don't necessarily think are the best ways to go about reacting are you talking about the lawsuits yeah I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the best way to go about reacting i i don't think it's it's all that important to spend your time and effort doing that when there is some serious spiritual emotional damage that's done over this and the church needs people who are strong in their faith to continue to be strong in their faith because at the end of the day who's the head of the church josh christ exactly and is he still there yes absolutely and christ 
any good thing that comes through a church's life is to be credited to God. Yes. A leader can have a big impact on it, and a leader can damage it when it doesn't go well, but that doesn't mean God was working. The books on my shelf and the materials in my house with these individuals' names on them, for me, I, it's going to be hard for me to pick those back up and, and read, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean the, the the words in those books are bad. Right. In fact, there's still a lot of good things in there. That legacy is tarnished a little bit. But, the perception has changed. But at the same time, it doesn't mean how God used that individual was bad. Right. You know, that God used that individual and God used these people to do good things. And don't don't strip away the credit that God deserves because someone made a very, very bad mistake and a very poor decision. And I think as as a church, as individuals, as Christians, these are the things that need to get us to come together stronger and use this as an opportunity to take some more responsibility of your own faith. Learn some things about being a Christian. Learn some things about the Bible. Learn some things about what Christ was like that maybe you don't know. Because if we looked more like Jesus, if we looked more like the first century apostles, we'd probably be in a better place as individuals, as Christians, as a church. But the reality is, is we have made church and Christianity about a whole lot of things that used Jesus' name but weren't necessarily things he stood for. And and we will have a podcast where we talk about evangelicalism and and how that word has has gone Changed. from being something that I was proud to be identified as to like I don't even like using it that much anymore. And and we'll talk about that another time, but but we as people, you know, can can really screw things up, but at the end of the day, God's still doing good things, even yeah. through organizations in tough spots. And I think it's really important to remember too, and tell me if you agree with this statement. Okay. Members of a church are responsible for their church. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And it's and it's it's a it's an it's an okay thing to ask questions of leadership. Yep. It is a okay thing to it's it honestly i i would say you should be asking questions should be asking why are we doing what we're doing how can we be more effective are we using our resources in the in the most effective way Mm -hmm. are we doing what our community needs us to be doing yep and it's it like these are examples where you have a congregation that was probably very um what's the word complacent i don't i i I don't know if either one of us can say that because neither one of us went to this church it wouldn't surprise me though i mean how many churches have you gone to where it's like the nor the average person who goes to the church has very little understanding of what actually goes on in the church every week oh i mean that's most churches yeah yeah i mean it's uh, or they don't understand where their where their tithe money is actually going. 
Yeah. I mean, it's you. Ha- that's that's the thing is like we had like your church should be having budget meetings. It should have quarterly meetings or whatever you get. The church says this is acceptable for us to meet as a congregation and discuss the vision and the direction and the strategy of the church. Yeah. And then what resources do we have to do to, to do that? Right. And where are we using those resources currently? And that's, those are all really important questions because you listen to some of these cases, you listen to some of these stories and you have, like I, I saw one the other day, made me so mad. The pastor's driving around in a two hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini. Nice dude. And he's nice. he lives in a four million dollar house. Nice. And, and <laughs> let me say this about pastors and money. I'm I am fine with pastors making a decent wage. I'm fine with people having wealth. I'm fine with people having money. There's a there's a difference between in my mind, there's a difference between uh, a good stewardship of wealth and extravagance. Mm-hmm. Who needs a Lamborghini? No. Nobody. Nobody needs it other than people who really want to, to show off or people who are making a ton of money. Right. And, and you know, like, I'm not opposed to, to pastors having money. I'm not opposed to people in churches being successful. I right. think that that, that that is good. But I do think that you got to draw the line between good stewardship of wealth and extravagance. Like, like and, and that's where, you know, pastors have to be wise. You just have to be wise. Right. And... Man, I just you shouldn't be driving a Lamborghini. I just look at that and it's just like, okay, we're called to be humble. We're called to be modest. And it's just kind of like, okay, that's that's a little much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And and like, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny to to think about driving around a Lambo and people who who gave their money to God, right? These people give their money to to God. They give it faithfully to the Lord and they see their pastor driving around a Lamborghini. It's like God did that with the money. <laughs> it's like what? What? Oh, yeah. but here's one thing I'm going to say to kind of get uh onto something else you mentioned is you mentioned about um churches in, in and taking the opportunity to kind of learn and do some things, not being complacent. And one thing I'll, I'll add to that is is there's a difference between being a a crit a critic of the church and an opponent of the church. If you are going to a church, you're an active member, and you are trying to be an opponent in opposition to the church, you're not really helping the church. You're just getting in the way. However. If you are being a critic and looking at what the church is doing and trying to be like, no, 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 we really got to focus on the mission and vision of our church. We got to focus on the, the the Great Commission. We got to focus on the, the principles laid out in Acts on how we should be building our church. That, that is, that's what I would consider a critic. And a critic is there to make things better. You're, you're being critical because you want things to get better. So don't think just because you might be a critic or critical that you are hurting the church. There is a difference. I think hurting the church would be trying to stop things from happening, right. trying to stop change from happening. That's being an opponent. That's being an adversary. That's not helpful. But being critical and trying to say um, that we are 
just trying to get things on course is good. And that, that I think can be helpful. And I know that some of the biggest critics in ministry for me have been some of the people I'm closest with. And I value that. And I, I'm thankful for those people's words. And it can be really helpful as a pastor when you have a critic. It can be frustrating and annoying to constantly be having someone asking you questions on everything, but it can also keep you on course and keep yeah. you on track. So that, those are kind of my final thoughts on on this topic, and I really enjoyed kind of getting into this controversial stuff. I'm very curious how people will respond to this. So far, people don't really respond in any way no, other than listening. So guys, check us out on Facebook, please. Would love for you guys to go to the E43 Collective Facebook page. Check us out there, E43Collective.com. And and just keep tuning in and checking in. Josh, do you have any final words before we wrap up this podcast? I think it's, I mean, my final thoughts are kind of what we talked about earlier, where it's like it's super simple to get sucked into it and just say like, oh my goodness, these people are terrible. But the reality is, is that, I mean, if you look at it as an opportunity to talk to people about the gospel and to talk to people about how Christ calls us to live, I mean, these are doors that are opening and not to be not to say like we should be taking advantage of these terrible situations. But I mean, we shouldn't be just trying to hide them. Right. Exactly. I don't think hiding them or sweeping them under the rug helps us. I think, in fact, it hurts us because five, ten years when another big issue comes out and we didn't talk about this. It's just going to lead to more people being shocked and surprised and disappointed and then it'll get swept under the rug again and then another cycle, another loop. So you're totally right there. Well, everyone, thank you all so much for listening to episode 13 of Raking Coals. We are signing off now and we, as always say, have a fantastic week and a blessed day. Bye-bye.